Just look at this studio filled with fabulous prizes. Ooh. All waiting to be won on Score North's... Pick your prize! Behind door number one is a $10,000 gift card to Chanhassen Dinner Theaters for shows, concerts, food, and beverage. Ooh. Door number two has $10,000 in home improvements for your kitchen, bathroom, windows, and more from Minnesota Rusco and Companies. Ah. And behind door number three, LASIK eye procedure from Dr. Lovanoff at Ovo LASIK and Lens. And a fantastic vacation. No surprise zoinks. What you want, you pick. 14 prizes in all, each valued at $10,000. Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I don't get. Mackey and Judd. It's very, it's odd at times. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's say Teddy Bridgewater spoke to reporters about a half hour ago at Winter Park, so we want to dive into some of those comments. Nothing too groundbreaking, but some interesting things in there about his process to get back here. Let's take one more call on this from our buddy Roderick on line one. We're talking college football playoff and... You know, how should you stack up resumes? We get into a Wisconsin-Notre Dame debate. So, Roderick, you get the last call on this, man. All right, just to let people know that there are two things at play here. There is the perception, and then there is the eye test. The perception is that the Big Ten is one of the top three conferences in the nation. So if Wisconsin finishes undefeated and a Big Ten champion, they're going to top a one-loss Washington out of the Pac-12, and they're going to top a one-loss Oklahoma or anybody from the Big 12. Next, all they have to do is worry about the winner of Notre Dame in Miami. If Notre Dame wins and they went out, you are right that Notre Dame will go in because the perception is they're a better draw and a better team and a better schedule than even an undefeated. So all you really have to worry about if Miami or Clemson comes out of the ACC and they're undefeated, they're not going to be viewed as much as Wisconsin is. And the person who said, what about Stanford compared to Iowa? Stanford is viewed as a better team than Iowa, regardless of the record. So really, all Wisconsin has to do is win all their games, finish undefeated, play the Big Ten, and then it doesn't matter what happens in the SEC because if both get in, there'll be one spot to get in, and Wisconsin will get it over Oklahoma, they'll get it over the ACC champion, and they'll get it over everybody except for Notre Dame. So that's pretty much what has to happen. Sure. It's perception and it's, uh, and it's um, the eye test. You know what's so hard about, about what Roderick, Roderick was saying, and I, I love when Roderick calls in because he always brings super thoughtful uh, calls and takes. What's hard is you play so many conference games. So you in, in the NFL, you have a 16-game schedule, and you play, what's my math, six conference games, right? Because the Vikings play Lions. Yeah, six conference games because it's four teams in each – or I'm sorry, division. Division games. Division games, yeah. Yep. Um, so, so I think of conferences as like divisions in college football. So mm-hmm. it's just the, the phrasing is different. So you're playing about one third of your schedule against teams in your division. And then the other 10 games or the other almost two thirds of your schedule is against the rest of the greater pool of teams. And some are, some are uh, East coast, West coast up, you know, North, South in college football, you play 12 regular season games and 75% of them now are in division or in conference. What if you... The first thing I would do is I would just take the Power Five conferences. I'd have those 60 teams, so Notre Dame included, those 55 or 60 teams. You don't play anybody else outside of that pool anymore. You guys play the, the you, All you 60 five. teams. Sure. 
you're going to play each other. And instead of having, this is where it gets tough. Instead of having nine conference games, yeah. maybe you have like six or seven. And so you just, you find a way and maybe you could balance out the schedules from year to year. You wouldn't schedule five years in advance. Uh, the schedules would be automated like they are in the NFL mm-hmm. and generated. And so maybe instead of like getting unlucky and, oh, crap, like we drew Alabama and Georgia on our schedule, maybe there's a way to sort of even out the distribution of of talent based on the results from the year before so that teams are playing more even schedules across the board. And then you truly find out what the 11-win teams are you know, versus so are the 10-win teams. Are you saying, so are you saying that that the Power 5 conference teams should play fewer conference games as we know them now? Well, I'm saying, first of all, nobody should be playing FAU. Like, I agree like with that, Al- yes. Al- so Alabama yes. played scheduled Florida State, and they wound up being down. But like Wisconsin, Wisconsin's schedule versus Alabama's schedule in the non-conference, on paper, how often is BYU ever a powerhouse? Right. Like in the mid-'80s once? And how often is FSU a powerhouse? All the time. Um, so I, I just wish that in the NFL, the schedules are fairly balanced in the middle, right? There might be a team like the Lions that you just get the luck of the draw and mm-hmm. you get to face Brett Hundley and and uh, you get to face a bunch of teams firing coaches because you were bad last year. If there was a way to balance out the schedules of all 60 teams, you wouldn't be having these debates about, well, this team's undefeated, but should they really have a chance over this two-loss team? Sure. You but, know? but the pro- the problem is with, with that is that they're probably going in the opposite ways right now because of the networks owned by conferences, which encourage more conference games, which means if your conference is down, correct, it hurts you. But to me, that's fair. Then Jim Delaney, don't complain. Yeah, But you, like Alabama you're doesn't making need to your play money. Fresno State. They don't well, need to I, no. play Fresno and that's, State. Yes, I'm with you. You know what? Oh my God. Well, and the Gophers and the Gophers didn't need to play Buffalo. You know who Alabama's playing in a week from Saturday? Like what like what? Mercer. It's a tough Mercer team. Alabama's this year. playing it's a, Mercer. It's a tough Mercer team. Mercer ain't showing no mercy is what's gonna happen. That's a tough club for Nick Saban. And, bad and, blood. Nick, and Nick Saban's gonna try and sell that game is you know, my players have to be up for that game. They Mercer. can't listen to you. You tell them they're gonna beat them, it's poison. Yeah, it's rat exactly poison. Right. The Mercer Bears. But uh, that's a different to me, yes. I mean the Gophers, when, when you look at the Gophers non-conference schedule, and it's the Gophers, I know, but you're playing Buffalo. One of the Mercer got beat by a by a Wolford. One of one of another great team. <laughs> Wolford's a tough like, club. What's too. the yeah. point? One of the games I went to go for non-conference games in the past ten years that I thought was a lot of fun was TCU because that was a good Gopher team yeah. against a really good TCU team. That was fun. I, I'm, Buffalo was fun. I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to this, but did you know that Mercer, who's about to play Alabama next weekend, scored three points against Samford last weekend? That's not Stanford. Samford. Have you you looked at Samford's defensive ranking for this year? It's very high. Yeah, their nickel package is very high. Punch you in the mouth. You should see them in their dime package. Big time. Um, Teddy Bridger. Mercer. What did Teddy say? God. What did our guy say? Uh, I'm just going to read some random tweets here from Winter Park. This is is a collection from Pioneer Press, uh, uh, some other, like Ben Gessling, Star Tribune. Teddy has a ton of confidence, he says, in his own mobility and being able to evade the pass rush after doing a bunch of drills. That's going to be a question. He hasn't had to run full speed away from a 240-pound linebacker or a pass rusher yet. Mm-hmm. Teddy, Teddy said he never had a doubt that he would be back. He got 800 text messages after his injury a year ago, and it took him a few months, but he responded to all 800. He really? Well, okay. Um, 
a lot of excitement to be back, excitement to be back here. Uh, he said, it's a lot of not about me stuff. Give me the juicy stuff, man. Teddy, Teddy, like don't, get, like Teddy don't give you and, juicy. You don't give you juicy. You don't like juicy. Mm-hmm. He's very anti-juicy. He yeah. likes the mundane. There's not a lot of me. That's why Zimmer loves him. Zim loves him because he's Teddy. Teddy likes to be boring pu- publicly. It's very smart. Yeah, Bridgewater got a bunch of text messages. He did say, uh, this is from, let me see here, Daily Norseman, uh, Vikings blog. On uh, not being out there while rehabbing, it's like when all the kids are going to Fayette and you have to just go to detention. <laughs> uh, this is not only about me, it's about the people uh, that counted me in. So, yeah, this is, you have a, I know you put a note on our on our emails back and forth last night. As far as Minnesota sports comebacks are concerned, just him getting back on a field. You know, Justin Morneau coming back and being a, I think he won the batting title in Colorado after he left he Minnesota. He did. Or yeah. came close to it or something. No, Michael Kadire won a bat. Yeah, I they went they, back I to think back. They both won them, yeah. That's a pretty cool comeback because he was sitting in a dark room for like three months during one of those off seasons, unable to function. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and wins a batting title with a different team. So. I'd have to think about that one. The but best this is one, a pretty I, cool comeback. The best one I think that that we've seen in the last twenty five years is probably uh, Peterson's comeback. I mean, when you tear your knee on Christmas Eve of one year, and it keeps most people out for what about a year, and you're back in. You're basically you come back in the summer to go through training camp, and then you play and you rush for two thousand plus yards. That's got to be the best comeback. Yeah, you almost this break would, the this single would be, season rushing record. If if Bridgewater comes back and and now establishes himself and has a successful rest of his career, this would be the most impressive. Yeah, I I don't mean to minimize. It's a it's an absolute catastrophic injury, and not a lot of guys at any position have come back. But I do think quarterback is the if that's the best position to play if you're going to come back from this injury because you don't have to worry about running a four three forty again. If you're Marcus Lattimore, the dude, the running back who did this in college and still got drafted by the 49ers in like the fourth or fifth round, mm-hmm. if you don't get back to being able to cut and run a 4-4-40, you can't play running back in the NFL. You can't. If you can't outrun, get around the edge, you can pretty much stand in the pocket and dissect defenses with a with a bum knee, you know, as long as you don't take a catastrophic hit or something. Like it's the best position if you're going to come back. Yeah. Um, if you're a if you're a defensive player, a pass rusher, if you if if all of a sudden you're running a five oh forty now because and you got to cut more. No, that's true. Yep, you're just like there's more sudden movements. Mm-hmm. Not that there aren't with quarterback, but uh, let's get to Matthew Collar when we come back here from Winter Park and the Purple Podcast is where you can find Judd and Collar and a cast of other characters. We'll get your official Teddy Bridgewater update and see what's going on after the bye week with the Minnesota Vikings, Maggie and Judd. Mackie and Judd are back. Here we go. We're going live right now. On 1500 ESPN. I'm excited for, for Teddy. I mean, that's, uh, you know, like, like I said before, I've had a knee injury before, and uh, being able to come back and get back out there, uh, it's a big deal. He's a great asset and uh, somebody that I definitely uh, I definitely listen to when, uh, when he's got some advice. I want to do what's best for this team, um, whatever that is. Um, you know, I feel confident in how I'm playing. I feel confident in the guys. I feel confident in the offense. Matthew Collar, you can find him on the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. He hangs out at Winter Park, watches film, likes football. How's Teddy looking? 
Uh, I have no idea how Teddy's looking because we don't get to see Teddy other than a few minutes at the beginning of practice, but uh, at least in the locker room talking, uh, he said that he doesn't have any concerns at all about getting back out on the field, that he feels like his mobility has returned, and that he's even throwing the ball a little stronger. So uh, at least for now, Teddy Bridgewater is saying that everything looks like it's a go. How uh, how concerned should we be that Griffin uh, showed up on the injury report yesterday with an with, uh, ailment that I don't believe had been out there uh, before we got our hands on that report? Uh, in London on the last play, he went down and had, took his shoe off That's on right. the field. Okay. Then after, after the game, he said, no, nothing, it's no big deal. But I mean... These guys could get hit with a bowling ball out there, and then they would tell you, no, 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 I, you didn't see me get hit by a bowling ball. Uh, so, uh, you know, he said he was fine at that time, but then missing practice yesterday, I, I would say it's a concern, but he also did take part in some warm-ups yesterday, which makes me think that there is a chance that uh, he'll get back on the practice field on a limited basis today. There are also very few players that you would let sit out the entire week of practice and then play on Sunday, but Everson Griffin would be one of those players. So, I mean, if he is a little bit uh, limited for what he can do this weekend, it, it hurts quite a bit, especially if Trent Williams is dinged up too on the other side or TJ Clemmings is playing left tackle, then, I mean, that's a matchup uh, that it couldn't be, uh, you know, a bigger advantage for the Vikings. And with Everson Griffin potentially slowed, that would hurt a little bit. Um, but maybe he just needs a couple of days here. It's kind of hard to uh, assess that. But the fact that he was warming up, I guess we'll find out today. And then after today, we'll have a pretty good feel whether he's going to play. Uh, I have another Teddy question, other than how's Teddy looking. When Teddy eventually comes back, I don't think it's fair to assume that he's just going to, oh, he's going to pick up right where he left off in 2015. There's going to be some sort of you know, buffer period where he's got to get used to the speed of a regular season NFL game, get used to you know, how his leg feels, even subconsciously, all these things. So, you know, what what do you make of that buffer period? Do we have any idea how 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 long to be patient when it comes to, you know, him just building his NFL equity back up as a quarterback, Collar? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the, the hardest thing to know because you would love a situation here where he didn't have a lot of pressure or they weren't fighting for a division or a playoff spot or whatever's going to happen here. But, I mean, the aspirations – after a 6-2 and two start are now, well, it, we should be a playoff team at worst and then potentially even more. So throwing a guy who's been out for so long back into that situation I think is really tough and will require some patience. The one benefit that he does have, though, is an offensive coordinator who has focused his offense around a lot of short passes and a lot of plays where you don't – I don't want to say you don't have to think a lot because you always have to think a lot, but when you have – say, a play-action little screenplay where there's only two obvious options. They've been doing that a lot with Case Keenum. I think that that lightens the load a little bit on what you're asking for Teddy Bridgewater, that in his previous offense, he was asked to do everything at the offensive line. He was asked to work the ball down the field on a lot of deep routes. He was facing a ton of pressure. He didn't have a very good offensive line. I think the situation helps a little bit, but yet when he does get back in, it will require some patience. I mean, if there's this expectation that he's going to go right back to being what he was at the end of 2015, I think that's a huge ask. And other quarterbacks who have come back from these injuries have talked about how it takes half a season or something like that before they feel uh, like they're back to 100% again. Well, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really have a half a season here. Uh, I mean, I, I guess he has a half a season technically, but he won't have that to get back to a, 100%. 
if he doesn't play this week or next week. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just going to take a while uh, for him to know what he can do, what he can't do on that leg. And unfortunately, those are going to be in very high-pressure situations. Give me your assessment of of Case right now because it's, you know, he's gone from being the backup sure thing to Bradford getting hurt to replacing Bradford to basically dealing with on a weekly basis for a while Hey, is Sam or Case going to start? That's done now, and now it becomes, okay, Case, you start until Teddy is set to play. What, what's your evaluation of, of where, where he is? Because he's been a career backup. He gets this. Nonetheless, it's a lot to go through. Yeah, I, I do think that uh, Case Keenum has exactly the right mentality that you would hope for for this situation. I don't think that Case Keenum believes in any way, shape, or form that this is his team or when they bench him eventually for Teddy Bridgewater that, that's, that he's going to be wronged or anything like that. Uh, I, I think that Keenum, probably like any competitor or professional athlete, thinks that he should be the starter and wants to do that. But I also think that when you get Case Keenum, when you sign him in free agency, he knows what he's signing up for. He knows the deal that he is on a backup role and that is what he's getting paid to do. And I don't think he's the type of guy that's going to try to split the locker room or anything like that, or he's going to try to, to make a lot of noise. And, and, and when it comes to saying the right things, I mean, he's said everything right along the company line perfectly. He hasn't insinuated in any way that he should be the guy for the rest of the year other than to say that he likes starting uh, under center. So that's been about it. I mean, from that standpoint uh, I think you're in a great situation because when you do have to bench him it's not going to be a problem and this is still Teddy Bridgewater's locker room from a playing standpoint I think there's only so long you can get away with this I think that you've played a lot of really bad quarterbacks and he's had some very poor games that got covered up by the fact that you were playing Deshaun Kaiser or Joe Flacco and I don't think that that's going to last for all that long Still, there. I mean, he can do just enough, right? And this Washington defense, for example, is not very good. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he could do enough to win a game 24 to 21 or something, even if the defense does allow some points. Uh, but as the games get a little harder, then I think you're going to need better quarterback play. Uh, to continue to be competitive. Matthew Collar from Winter Park. You can find him on 1500ESPN.com in written form, uh, the Purple Podcast on iTunes, 1500ESPN.com slash podcast. All right, loaded question for you. Here it comes. Can the Vikings win the Super Bowl? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think they uh, can. Um, Now, any team's odds to win the Super Bowl is going to be pretty low, no matter who it is. I mean, it could be Drew Brees, and it could be Tom Brady, and your odds are not that particularly high. But there is a scenario here, if Teddy Bridgewater is himself, where they have everything in place. I mean, they have the numbers from the first half make them look like one of the best defenses and one of the decent or better offenses in the NFL, and that's despite all the things that they've gone through here and played a backup quarterback. They've got an offensive coordinator who I think is pretty modern and could even expand what he's doing on offense if he's got a quarterback in there. And I also think that, you know, maybe people look at the stats, the touchdown passes or something from Teddy Bridgewater and don't give him enough credit uh, for what he can do as a quarterback. So if he's back to his old self, yeah, I do think that they could be a Super Bowl contender. But there's a lot of ifs that have to kind of check off those boxes to be able to get to that point. But it could happen. Is that the answer you wanted? Go! Come on, Collar. Come on. Can, can you blow the horn, Judd? Blow the 
Get a horn, please. There it is. Yeah, here, I'll try it again. Here. There you go. Yep. There's a horn for you. right there. Yep. A little gala horn action. We have one in the studio now. So, so... If you believe that, Collar, how, how much, because we, we certainly talked about this man's job security uh, in the months leading up to the season, how much credit does Spielman deserve, too? Because a lot of the things that the Vikings <laughs> did wrong, be quiet, Rick. Because, Rick, I told you right now, I'm not going to tell you again. Because a lot of the things that the Vikings did wrong last year, they they corrected. I mean, they they went out and got two tackles. They, they went out and actually got a backup QB who could st- uh, step in and play. So if things continue on this course, how, how much credit do we need to give to the people that we criticized last year because they got it right this time? Yeah, I, and, I, and I think that there were many, many things to be criticized for. Sure. I don't think that they, they had it right secretly last year and we missed something there. Uh, but they corrected a lot of the wrongs from last year. And that one of them was going out and finding a left tackle who could really play the position and be a leader and bring toughness and uh, help them in the screen game and help them in pass protection. Case Keenum has been sacked something like five times this year, and none of them have come because of Riley Reef. Getting him, I think, is the biggest boon for them, and Mike Remmers has done a good job, too. Uh, the draft that they had was really excellent, but that's kind of you know good luck, bad luck sort of thing. Um, I, I always have trouble saying, well, you shouldn't have drafted Guy X. Like, well, okay, you know, Laquan Treadwell didn't work out, but I think we all agreed at that time that they needed a wide receiver. But in this case, being able to draft Pat Elfline, a starting center, in the third round, who's been a major impact player on their offense, was, was big. But I, I think, really, it goes down to – it's very difficult to fix an offensive line in one offseason. We've seen the Giants' offensive line didn't get fixed. Uh, we saw that uh, it took a big trade in Seattle for them to finally get a, a tackle. The fact that the Vikings were able to fix their offensive line and come into the season um, and, and be able to hold up with a backup quarterback in there because they've improved their running game so much, yeah, I, I do think they deserve a ton of credit for that. Now, one thing – that you'll hear from time to time that is probably true is that Riley Reef wasn't their first pick uh, for who they wanted to sign, but it just kind of worked out that way. So, you know, there's a little luck involved in everything, but the changes that they've made have been the difference between what they were last year and what they are this year. Uh, Kyler, do you think Pat Shermer gets uh, some interviews or some, some sniffs around for head coaching? I mean, he was a head coach for two years with the Browns in like 2011, somewhere in that range. But that barely counts because the Browns give you no chance as a head coach. And so uh, do you think he actually gets some attention as a head coaching possibility? Uh, I do. If they finish 11 and five or I mean, even 10 and six would probably do it if they are able to survive what they've had to go through this year. Uh, the thing about Pat Shermer is that he really isn't. Uh, let's just say he has no PJ Fleck in him. He isn't a guy that is going to talk a great game or anything like that. I mean, he's a ball coach who comes from a really impressive uh, coaching tree from you know Andy Reid, who was with Bill Walsh and all those things, all the way down to Pat Shermer. So, I mean, he's done a lot of different things in his career and had a lot of success. And I think this would probably put him back in those names. Though I, I do wonder if, uh, you know, guys like the uh, Sean McVeighs or whatever, if the, if people are going to start looking for these younger coaches instead of guys who have been around. But I think the ingenuity of uh, Shermer to adapt his offense, to be able to survive with Case Keenum in there and improve the screen game, improve the run game, all those things take these huge steps from last year. 
it should put him back on the map. And I, and I agree with you. It's not a fair shake when someone coaches in Cleveland. It tends to kill <laughs> careers, though. I mean, you just there are a lot of guys that you don't see back in the league. Uh, Mike Pettin is one guy who coached them for a year, and I don't even know if he's got a job in the NFL. So, I mean, uh, that might hurt him how poor it went uh, in Cleveland. But, I mean, if they end up with a 12-4 and record or something, then, yeah, I think he definitely gets a lot of phone calls. Uh, yeah, Eric Mangini is another guy. He's, NFL he's Network like on, now, he's I think. A, yeah, he's like yeah. a TV guy now. Well, he was Jets and then Browns. Yeah, but you so know his what his mistake did. was the Browns being the second head coaching job, in which case you're never going to get another He job. crossed Belichick. You cross Belichick, you will not work in this league. Yeah. So, Matthew Collar. Thanks, Collar. See you later, man. Thanks, guys. All right. You can find his work on 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. We did a a Purple Podcast uh, reacting to the Bridgewater Bradford (laughs) news last night. Rick, watch yourself. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Collar and Courtney Cronin are going to do a Purple Podcast today. So we continue to churn those out. Awesome. Uh, It's the best Vikings podcast in town. You can subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, Anywhere you would... Generally, if I'm podcast, Dave, what kind of questions are you going to hurl at us? Well, ever since it started in the opening bell, I've been really questioning your opinions on both the Wild and the Wolves and how they played last night. I want to dig through that. Okay, we'll do that, uh, Mackie and Jeff. You think you and your Hall of Fame quarterback buddy like football? Well, John Gruden and Brett Favre don't just like football. They f- love it. Watch this throw rolling to my left, backing up. That's awesome, man. And 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 I'm making another throw the next. It's like it came right out of heaven. I mean, it had to. It had to drop in like a butterfly with sore feet. It had to drop in like that. Like a what? Football! Football! Yeah! Yeah! Football! Football! Yeah, that's right. Those two guys just sitting around talking pigskin. Uh, Mackie here for TCL TVs. In fact, we've got the hot stove show on right now in all of its 4K glory on the 4K 55-inch Roku TV here in the studio. Uh, Watching sports on a TCL TV is an experience that you have to get for yourself. You can stop into any major local retailer in the Twin Cities and check out why TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand and why it's the third largest in the world and why people all across the globe are raving about these TVs. We're talking built-in Roku device, so connected TV with access to 4,000-plus streaming channels and all the TV shows and movies that you can imagine. And uh, with that built-in Roku, you get access to all kinds of sports streaming platforms, Major League Baseball, NHL, uh, NBA, WWE Network, Watch ESPN, Fox Sports Go, you name it, you're connected to it with the TCL TV collection, TCLUSA.com, and any major local retailer. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie. He's not a drama queen. He's a dummy. (laughs) Judd Zolgad. He's already ruined the Vikings. He's going to ruin the Wild. He needs to stay away from Target Center. Stay away from the Wolves. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Dave Harrigan, you got questions for us, and I think you're going to challenge us, which I'm looking forward to. I am challenging you because I feel like you've been a little bit unfair. <laughs> okay. You got the coach last night of the hockey team saying, yeah, we lost the game, but bad luck, a couple fluky goals. Maybe our goaltender should have played better. 
Uh, but hey, you know we we out hit them, we out shot them, we out possessed them, we oh, scored them. The, we scored on the power play. They did not. We kicked butt in the face off circle, fifty nine percent to forty one. Effort, unbelievable. You know it was uh, one of those games where we played well. It just didn't uh, show up on the scoreboard. Meanwhile. The Timberwolves went to Golden State to take on a team who's missing what could arguably be their best player on any given night, whether it's Curry or Durant, whatever. Make your argument and gave up 44 points in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Got ripped a little bit by the coach saying, yeah, we played okay at some times, but we were awful at other times. And you guys, led by Judd, at least on the Wild, took the tack that the Wild are an embarrassment. It was a horrible effort. Your game ended up as a loss. It was terrible. These guys suck. It was horrible. Jeez. And the Wolves, oh, no big deal. Oh, no big deal. They're fine. I turned yeah, into Doogie. Yeah. Oh, happy hump day. <laughs> so explain well, it to well, me. Happy hump day. So explain Glenn it to Taylor. Me. I can explain it The Wild simply. dominate in most statistical categories. I can explain whereas it Whereas the Wolves kind of got run out of the gym by 24 points and yep. gave up 57% shooting percentage. Yep. Uh, yep. The Warriors were almost 50% from three. So explain it to me. Why is one loss okay and the other is a complete embarrassment? From my own personal view, I can explain it in two ways. The first one being simply how I am forced to consume road games of these teams is to watch them on Fox Sports North. And it does drive me up the bleeping wall that the Wild guys are that positive. Positive, and that I'm watching this, and maybe they should have been. And no, it just drives me that's crazy. But point. anyway, that's that's reason one. That's that's if this okay, was a you pie hate chart, the announcers. Got it. If it was a pie chart, it would be small. The wild Lapanta and Greenlay drive me crazy. That's the 25 percent of the pie chart. The rest of it is this. You know, when you meet someone, you meet that gal, and it's fresh and new. She's got faults, all right, but you don't see them. That's the Wolves. The Wolves are fresh and new. Jimmy Butler is exciting. I mean, he had a bad game last night, but I I have a lot more forgiveness for the warts that the Wolves possess right now than the Wild. The Wild, the Wild, you've been with her for a long, long time, and I'm tired of the act, and I see all the faults. And so the the Wild has worn me out. I'm tired of the Wild. I'm tired of them. The Wild sleeping is on the this, couch. Uh, is there a deeper meaning to this Nothing take right whatsoever. Now? <laughs> no, no, no. Don and I have never gotten along as well as we are right now. I'm just telling you, this is driven by the fact that the Wolves, you know, I mean, I'm sorry because it is pathetic, but the Wolves won five consecutive games and you were like, wow, this hasn't happened since 2009. Right or wrong? The Wild, the Wild's grown stale. I mean, I've been saying this since the summer, but the Wild, you just felt like they were stuck, and they are. You feel, st- I feel stuck in my relationship with that hockey team. So you're taking what's happened in the past and I'm projecting. And, okay, okay. Yeah. But I mean, that's my answer. It's all about personal resentments, and you can't see the forest of the trees, perhaps, on yeah. the wolves. That's what it's all about. Uh, well, I'll start with the wolves because I just don't think the Warriors. When you're you've put together a new collection and you've been irrelevant for 15 years. And you're trying to mold this thing and figure out how all the pieces work. Even without Kevin Durant, I just don't think the Warriors are a great litmus test as far as like they're they're going to beat you almost every time in that scenario. That you're trying to gel, it's national TV, so they're gonna try harder because they don't want to get embarrassed by the wolves on national TV. They're on national TV like forty times a year. Yeah. And they and I bet you if you look at their record against the teams they're supposed to beat in those games. It's well, the record against everybody. Yeah, they beat is really everybody good. in every game. So, like, my point is, they're they're going to beat you last night, and so I guess we could nitpick. Well, yeah, they the wolves don't shoot well from three point range. That's going to be an elephant in the room. They're going to be streaky. So, there's some things you can glean. 
But I learn a lot more when I watch the Wolves play horrible defense against the Pistons than I do watching them play horrible defense against the greatest offensive collection of all time. So, I mean, my reaction to the Wolves was just like, meh. They've been playing pretty well, and last night they ran into the Golden State Warriors, and let's let's give them a pass on that, see what happens. With the Wild, I feel like Judd's assessments have been a little more game-by-game, game, like he, he lives and dies by every game, and I swoop in very infrequently early in hockey seasons, and as I brought to the table early in the show, big-picture viewpoint here, okay? You've got all these guys like Granlund and Dumba and, and Jonas Brodeen who has... And I get that like he's a defenseman, so his job isn't to put up goals and assists on a regular basis. But like you're 24 years old, and you've played 300 minutes, and you have no assists this season? T- take over. like Do something. Uh, Mikhail Granlin, I know he missed four or five games with an injury. You got one goal, and we're halfway through November? Parisi's out. Mm-hmm. So I'm more big picture if this thing is going to get back on track, whether they play well or not against the Maple Leafs. You know, some of these guys have to. There's indicators here that if some of these other guys don't step up for the first time in their careers, you know, for the long term, then we can stop sweating the wild. If, if we don't get a few of these young guys to really take over this team for the future, you can stop putting your emotional energy into living and dying by every wild game. The wild, and I need counseling. It's that simple. We need counseling. <laughs> we got to go to a therapist and get counseling. Because right now I'm tired of them and they're probably tired of me. Are you willing to go? Yeah, I think it's the only way to save my relationship with that team is counseling. You're going to have to be honest in those sessions, you know. Oh, I will be brutally honest. You realize they're just going to ask you about North Stars and realize you never got over that relationship, yep. right? Oh, there's a lot to <laughs> unpack here. I, I hear him on the phone late at I night. Know. It's deep. I see, him, I see the text messages he sends oh, it's deep. to there's, Dino. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of baggage here, boys. <laughs> Talks to Lou every week. <laughs> Love Louie. Uh, question number two. Uh, I believe this was approached on yesterday's show as well as a little bit today. The trade for Sam Bradford last year. And you guys have said, well, yeah, I mean, looking back, maybe it didn't work out as well as you had hoped, obviously, with the injuries. But at the time, you had to make the deal because you had Sean Hill and nothing else. I'm going to argue that even looking back, even with everything that's happened, only getting 16, 17 games out of Sam Bradford, it's still an absolute slam dunk win for the Vikings because, A, you saved a season in which you may have lost a coach and or a GM. B, you probably, with him on the roster, convinced Case Keenum to come here to be a backup and several other reasons. Would you agree with me that even looking back after everything that's happened, last year not making the playoffs with Sam, this year playing only one game, aside from the half of the uh, Chicago game, which barely even counts as playing, it was still an absolute win for the Vikings. So you traded a first-round pick for Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, and Case Keenum then, right? Basically. Because you kept those guys. Um, It's a little bit of a stretch, but I'm more with you than against you and that if you add up the fact that you had to make the trade, and then if you sort of loop in the fact also that Sam Bradford being Sam Bradford leads to Teddy Bridgewater just easily taking back over too. I mean, really, I, it, there's a lot of mental gymnastics to say that giving up a first-round pick wasn't a bad thing with Sam Bradford getting injured you know, one game into his second season. Uh, but it's not... It's not a, just because you gave up a first-round pick for something that didn't work out doesn't mean that your franchise is crippled. I mean, hell... The Vikings gave up multiple drafts, drafts, not draft picks, but like three drafts, basically, in the Herschel Walker trade. 
Oh, colossal disaster. Well, the Cowboys won championships, and so yes, you weren't guaranteed to have won championships with those draft picks, but they never got terrible. So sometimes we do overreact to like losing a trade. Oh my God. Well, the Vikings still went nine and seven almost every year in eleven and five, ten and six, whatever their records were, uh, after the Herschel Walker trade. So in general, people overreact to to losing trades. I'm with Dave. Dave, I'm not sure I exactly agree with your with your logic of who got saved and who didn't, but your assessment's a thousand percent right. And yeah, I'm right, it is. And now I went, I I did write going into training camp last year that the fact that they didn't have a viable backup was silly. That they should have gone out and gotten some somebody who could have backed up Teddy, never foreseeing that Teddy's knee would explode. Uh I just remember being at the State Fair. So Teddy got hurt, I believe, on a Tuesday. And I remember being at the State Fair on a Wednesday with Phil, and we were going through the list of guys that we thought might be available, and it was Mark Sanchez and Mike Glennon and Christian Ponder. I mean, it was dreck. It was garbage. So that trade was a smart trade. It was a good trade. And I don't care what what you got from Bradford this year. But as I've often said, you you could not in 2016, coming off a 11-win division title season, go into that locker room and say, gentlemen, we are going to roll with Sean Hill. You couldn't do it. You went out and got a former first-round number one overall pick. Uh, he played pretty well for you. I mean, he wasn't great, but I don't think there were a lot of times that anybody left a Vikings game last year saying that that loss was on Bradford's head. The loss was on a lot of things. It was on the fact that the offensive line was awful and lost guys. It was on the fact that Blair Walsh missed kicks. And, in fact, I do believe that against Detroit, if Walsh had made an extra point there, you go to the playoffs. So, Dave, I'm with you. That trade was absolutely the right trade to make. Final question. You guys have seen the trailer, I assume, for the two Bills. That'll be the next 30 for 30 coming out sometime this winter from ESPN. Yeah, that looks amazing. I'm really excited. The two Bills being Parcells and Belichick. This was a nugget from the uh, book The Education of a Coach by David Halberstram. There was a one terrible moment during a game when Belichick called a blitz and Parcells seemed to oppose it. They went ahead with it and the blitz worked. The other team had done what Belichick expected and not what Parcells had. But Parcells was furious, and over the microphones in the middle of the game, he let go, quote, Yeah, you're a genius. Everybody knows it. A GD genius. That's why you failed as a head coach, and that's why you'll never be a head coach. Some genius. Wow. It was deeply shocking to everyone who heard it. They were the cruelest words imaginable. This is So this is after Belichick had failed with the Browns. Correct. Yeah. And he was on the staff with the Jets. Mm-hmm. By the end of this documentary, boys, do you expect to be on Team Tuna or Team Cheater? Do they hate each other now? I don't know where things stand now, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the whole thing, the whole um, situation with the Jets was set up when Parcells left for Belichick to take that job. And Belichick, said and Belichick resigned that job the next day, causing an even bigger rift, I believe, between the two guys. Yes. Uh, I firmly expect to be on the side of Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is mm, an arrogant bleep. So is Bill Parcells is too. No, I know <laughs> yes, they are. He is, but I mean, he is an he is an arrogant, self confident, lots of things. But when NFL Network did, did that football life on Belichick, the man is incredibly, incredibly smart. Parcells, I think, is a very smart football guy. Belichick is an incredibly smart guy. So 
I think by the end of, of the documentary, if there is a side to take, my side will be Bill Belichick. Um, yeah, like Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of our lifetimes. If you're ranking, you know, top four or five coaches, I don't know how many people would put Bill Parcells the last 30 or 40 years over Bill Belichick. And, you know, some of that just has to do with you, you find a Tom Brady and, you know, I'm sure Bill had a role in cultivating Tom Brady, but yeah, I'm trying to think of categories in which Bill Parcells would be regarded as a better coach than Bill Belichick. Mentor to Mike Zimmer. Sure. Mentor to Mike Zimmer. Now, okay, here, I'll give you one. The Bill Parcells coaching tree seems to be much more plentiful and fruitful than the Bill Parcells. success. Yeah, the yep. Bill Parcells coaching tree is mostly full of Eric Mangini's and Charlie Weiss's Belichick. and Romeo Cronell's. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, the, yeah the Belichick. McDaniels. He might get a second shot probably this upcoming who season. Has, who has a coaching tree right now who is who is relatively young? Like, Walsh had a coaching tree. Parcells had a coaching tree. Is there somebody now with a coaching tree who is not 70 years old? Andy Reid? And, and he comes uh, from the... get the Holmgren uh, tree, really. Okay. Uh, I know someone. Yeah, okay. yeah, you're right. I mean, And what, the Holmgren uh, tree Reed, is an extension of the Walsh Gruden, tree, right? Who else is on that staff? Mariucci? Oh, the first, yeah, the, first, the 1992 staff picture when Holmgren got the Packers job has like five guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and that comes directly from the Walsh coaching tree. Yeah. But I'm trying to think now if there is if there's a semi younger head coach who's got a up and coming uh, coaching tree. Sean McVay coaching tree. There's a bunch of nineteen year olds running around. The sh- <laughs> you know, it's weird. The Sean McVay coaching tree is going to have a lot of guys who are older than Sean McVay on it. <laughs> he's thirty one years old. It's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, you're forgetting about. Uh, I came from uh, Andy Reid's. Uh, uh, didn't did did Childress <laughs> coach for uh, the Packers for many? No, he was oh. Wisconsin. Wisconsin yeah, football. He was- OC for uh, uh, Barry Alvarez uh, in like 98, right? Uh, Tahi. Mackie and Judd. They need it now. Mackie and Judd now continue. They want it now. On 1500. Get it on. ESPN. Show your gratitude this Veterans Day at O'Gara's with 1500 ESPN and CenturyLink. Garage Logic will be broadcasting live from O'Gara's in St. Paul this Friday. That will be tomorrow from 1 to 3. It's powered by CenturyLink. During the broadcast, all veterans are invited to enjoy a free meal and 25% of sales will be donated to local military charity serving our troops. More details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Here's the predictable response. The predictable response to our Babe Ruth of Japan conversation from a couple hours ago. Yeah. That there's a... There's a, a hitter and a pitcher. He's the same guy, Otani. Uh-huh. 23 years old, arguably at that age the best pitcher and hitter in the Japanese Pacific League, or at least like top two or three in each category. Throws 100 miles an hour. And I told you this would happen. Let's see. AJ Parkin chimes in to the at 1500 ESPN Twitter account. Please, God, no. We've done so well with Asian players in the past. <laughs> yep. You're like right. let's just take a whole chunk of billions of 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 people and just disregard them. Yes, AJ, let's do that. Uh, yeah, it hasn't worked out with Nishioka, who's Japanese, and with uh, Youngho Park, who's still grinding away in the minor leagues, trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, from the KBL. Yeah, but this is a different type of talent. I'm not saying he's going to work out, but it is interesting. According to multiple reports, the Twins. So each team has a limited budget, around $5 million a year to spend on international free agents. So these young players, this doesn't count the veterans like the Cuban players or 
the veteran Japanese players who reach a certain age, and then you can open up for $100 million contracts. Right. Each team has a limited pool of money, $5 million to spend on these younger international players. And the Twins, along with the Rangers and the Yankees, have the most to spend, around $3.5 million, on Otani if they want to. Mm-hmm. And and I think he's more in that category of Iwakuma, you Darvish, the the good pitchers who've panned out. Unless he can DH too. Yeah, and I think I think if he can pitch, that's priority number one. If he can also hit, then awesome. Figure it out. Just to be clear, do they do these teams have uh this amount of money left for this year to spend yes. then? So they get a new so you get a an allotment then for two thousand eighteen, which will be different from this. Well, so it actually the Yes, but the but the calendar is weird for this. Yeah. It's not a 2018 calendar. It's actually a July, like a July 2nd through oh, okay. June 15th calendar. It's like a budget type deal. Exactly. Where it's, not, it's not the year itself. <laughs> yeah. It's a year that's made up, basically. Correct. So, okay. the, so each team on, like, I'm getting the dates a little mixed up here, but like July 2nd or something, or July mm-hmm. 1st, mm-hmm. each team gets between 4.75 million and 5. Point, I want to say 3 million. And depending on your place in the standings, maybe even your, uh, there might be other factors in there too. You can trade that money. So I could swing a trade with you. And the, there's been teams that have done this. I've the seen, Indians yes, done this, where I I'll give you like five hundred thousand dollars in international spending. Yes. So that you can use it and have more ammo for these guys like Otani coming over from Japan. So most teams spend in July millions of dollars. Yes. On international Latin American free agents. So. You know, Miguel Sano had like a $3 million signing bonus back in whatever that was, 2009. Um, so the Twins spent a couple million but saved some money, presumably for a guy like Otani. Mm-hmm. And the Rangers saved and the Yankees saved. So before you say, oh, the cheap Twins about, saved. No, the Yankees saved think about money. about that, the Yankees guys. saved. Yeah, but everyone's operating. This isn't like the old wild, wild west where, you know, international free agents just went to the highest bidder. Right. There's an actual... There's an actual uh, field leveling cap for this now. All right. But all those Asian players, like, come on. Yeah, you Darvis. Oh, he was bad in the World Series, but I think he's been fine for the last five years. Nishioka left a a long line of people very, very frightened by the the fact that Twins signed him. There is some trauma left over. Yeah. He was smoking flopping around at second base. He was smoking in Target Field. It's not even legal. God, remember when, uh, when he flopped around at second base and threw wide. Of yes. first base, and Dan Gladden like took his headphones off and said, yes. "But he got a I'll bidet installed, man, at Target yep. Field. A bidet I still want to see. Never <laughs> seen it." Mackie and Judd back at you tomorrow for a game show Friday. Write that down. All kinds of fun. Morris. Stuff.